Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is logistics and distribution transportation with my friend Rick Schrader. Rick is Senior Vice President of Sales at Kerber Business Area Supply Chain. Kerber is a global supply chain tech company that provides a variety of supply chain solutions, software, voice, vision, and mobility, SAP implementations, robots, automation, material handling, palletizing solutions. They do quite a few things in the supply chain space, all to make you more competitive. You have to be efficient and effective in this business. So check out my interview with Rick Schrader. He's a great guy and very knowledgeable of the technology we need to use to be successful. But before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about my friends over at Tusk Logistics. That's T-U-S-K logistics.com. Tusk Logistics is a national small parcel network made up of the very best regional small parcel carriers. Tusk delivers reliable service, predictable pricing, and proactive support at lower costs, sometimes up to 40% less than the big guys, UPS and FedEx. Implementation is easy, and the Tusk team is absolutely obsessed with customer service and putting the shipper first. Check them out at tusklogistics.com and click the get started button. I will put a link in the show notes so you can reach out and t- talk to my friends over at Tusk Logistics. So how's it going, Rick? Really good. Thanks. Thanks for being here uh, today, Joe. I appreciate the invite. I'm looking forward to it. You guys are a massive company. Please introduce yourself and your company where you're calling from today. For sure. Kerber Supply Chain is is a global organization. We've got about 13,000 people globally in 100 different locations. I'm the uh, sales leader for Kerber Supply Chain here in the Americas, and we are offering end-to-end software or technology solutions for practitioners around the globe, but my team manages the Americas. So first off, could you spell Kerber for us? Yes, it's K-O with the umlaut because we're a German organization. Headquarters in central Germany, R-B-E-R. And if you look at us on the on the web, we Americanize Kerber. So it's K-O-E-R-B-E-R-supplychain.com. Nice, nice. So I interview lots of people every week. And when I look at LinkedIn profiles, I always just glance and it's just, oh. And my first thought is I looked at you guys, I was like, oh. 13,000 employees. And it's not, there's so many different companies within Kerber. And I was like, oh, wow, global. And my first thought was they do everything. They do transportation. They probably have some technology, but you guys are primarily a software company. Am I right to say that? We are. We're a technology company. We develop our own IP. We go to market with end-to-end supply chain solutions. Overall, we not only do the development and the selling, but we also do the servicing from an implementation standpoint. We do all of the support and we, we help com- uh, companies perform over time at an exceptional level. We do that in a direct channel way. And we also have a global partner network 
and also services customers and allows them to excel. So now do you sell primarily to logistics companies or primarily to shippers or is it a mix of both? It, it, it's a mix of both. We're in the, the retailer market, both brick and mortar and e-com. We're in the 3PL market. And, and we're also in that chain of suppliers that may go business to business all the way through to business to consumer. So there's a variety of different models, logistics models that we serve. But at the end of the day, we're solving supply chain challenges more than being just market vertical specific. Yeah. When you've got that much market penetration and that many employees, you're in a startup and you aren't just a, a one trick pony. You're not doing just a WMS or just a TMS. You're what I call a order to cash. And that's what we need. I, I, I say it all the time on the podcast is. When I saw my first TMS, I'll say it was 10 years ago, I thought, oh my God, this solves so many problems. And I was from automotive and I came to this logistics company. I saw their TMS. I was like, oh my God, this is beautiful. This is, this solves everything. And then after five, 10 years, you start to realize that she needs to connect to something. <laughs> and the same with WMS, we've created all these siloed solutions that the first time we saw them. We fell in love, but after a while we realized good, but a still another siloed solution. And that's a problem if you're a big supply chain. Supply chains are complex today, Joe. I know you know that as well as a lot of listeners and it does get fragmented, right? On the one hand, the practitioner sees it as end to end order to cash, right? And uh, technology needs to be solved at each step along the way. Kerber has gone to market with a portfolio of a lot of different supply chain solutions, more from the product side, but in terms of making sure that there's great visibility, uh, excellent planning, efficient execution, integration is uh, key to, I know our customer success, and we've provided that across the board because on the one hand, they want the complete solution. They may buy best of breed, like from Kerber, but at the end of the day, we're giving them the best of the best. And probably both of us, when we first started off in this, uh, in this arena, integration was problematic in oh today's my world. God, it was horrible. It, it, <laughs> now it's, I wouldn't say that it's easy, like hitting the easy button, but I would say that with the tools and the uh, approaches that we have today, integration is much more efficient than it was 20 years ago. Yep. I, I just had the guys on my podcast from Orderful. And the reason I mentioned Orderful is they created a platform for integration. And so they were working with a lot of software companies. They might already be working with you guys, but they also work with 3PLs. And the founder was doing integrations and they still have a company that does integrations. And we still get EDI. That's right. We still get EDI. And I've been on projects where you're ready to launch the new 3PL and you realize Oh, wait a sec. We have an integration. And it used to be, if you could find a guy, you could find a guy that would take three, four, five weeks, and then it might take 10 weeks for him to do it. And the price tag was six figures. Always, always painful. And what that means is my time to value, my time, my time is getting the value or my time is with that new customer is now three months out. Brutal. <laughs> brutal, brutal, brutal. Uh, we've designed our implementation teams 
that uh, are multi-talented. And, and by that, knowing a lot of different type of technologies, but then also more importantly, understanding the business outcomes. It's great to have very effective technology and the best architecture in the world, but we've had success focusing on business outcomes and allowing the practitioner to see that efficiency while we do all the heavy lifting underneath that architecture. Yep. Yep. And I want to come back to this. We'll talk more about this in a minute, but tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you <laughs> join the fine folks at Kerber. Yeah, as, as I finished off undergrad and then got my master's in operations management. Well, where'd you go? I went to Western Illinois University here in Illinois, and then also got a, a grad degree at Loyola University. Wow, in good Chicago. schools. Yeah, they a lot of memories there, a lot of networking over time too. Chicagoland is, is a great business center, not only uh, nationally, but also globally. Having that network of people as you go through school, you'd be surprised at how many going to stay with you as you go through your business career. Yep. So would you tell us a little bit about your career? Where'd you start? Yeah, I, I started with a local grocery chain as a distribution ex executive. I grew up uh, in a uh, highly manual <laughs> highly unionized environment with a local food retailer and started managing a lot of square footage in warehousing, food distribution, both fresh as well as a shelf stable, and then ended up getting my first introduction into supply chain technology. WMS was new back then. And to be quite frank, it, it was innovative. We don't look at it that way now, no. but at the time, it's innovative. And you were the whiz the kids then. <laughs> oh, and we did some really cool things back then with IBM. And I loved the tech space so much at that time that I, we ended up rolling out a project. And then lo and behold, I became a, an implementation expert for IBM in the supply chain technology space for 10 years after that. Very nice. And, and that was my start into the, uh, the tech space. I, I was with the uh, IBM supply chain division that at headquarters in both Chicago as well as uh, Raleigh. And uh, we ended up growing the business quite well across the country, both food and non-food, and got a dose of not only implementation, but also development as well as customer support. And then, and then graduated into sales management and have been a sales leader in the supply chain technology space, helping out customers across the globe for the last 25 years. So when and why did you join Kerber? It sounds like you had some options at that point. Yeah, for sure. I, the reason that I joined Kerber about six years ago is that Kerber was on a, a really good path, both in Europe and the Americas. The Americas operation at the time that I joined was called High Jump. Oh yeah, was, they were in Canada, right? Both Canada and the U.S. Okay, I was familiar with the Toronto guys up there. Okay, and then and then what happened was Kerber wanted to land more formally in the U.S. because the U.S. was growing by leaps and bounds in the supply chain tech space, and we joined forces with Kerber as a high jump organization, and we've really accelerated growth quite a bit over the last six years, both transforming our own business into being a cloud provider, a cloud-only, SaaS-only provider, and then also 
branching out into different facets of supply chain through warehouse control systems, simulation and modeling, as well as robotics. Yep. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, what you guys do before we get to these trends. But one of the things I had the guys from JBF Consulting on, I don't know if you know those guys, but they help really large shippers select technology. And they've been Mm -hmm. on the podcast a few times. And one of the things they talked about, and it really rang true for me when they said it, is they said, we help companies select technology and they should be picking Kerber, of course, when, but they said, and then we help them implement it. And then they said, and then, and a lot of people, once they implement it, it's sometimes a, a long haul and they go, oh, done. And they just, they move on to the next thing. But he said, now this is Brad, founder over at JBF said, oftentimes they aren't getting the most out of the technology. That's you paid that money, a lot of money for that technology, and now you've implemented it and they're getting it like 60%, 70%. And so you mentioned the ongoing service that you guys like to provide. And I feel like, yeah, I've been on technology projects. I've, I'm even small ones where you're like, it's as soon as you launch, you're like, okay, launched onto the next deal, whatever the next project is. So I'm assuming you've seen the same thing where people get that software and they go, yep, everyone's using it. There doesn't seem to be any bugs anymore. Mm-hmm. Every, we got compliance as far as usage. Let's move on. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great comment, Joe. So many times trying to transform an organization. In today's world, we call it digitization. We're transforming to the next phase of What's best for our organization as the business or the distribution and the logistics model changes slightly. And as we think about that, you go through that project and regardless if it takes six months, a year, two years to finish the transformation off, how do we, how do you keep the energy and the continuous performance aspects into that going forward? And I agree with you. Listen. We've got great technology. Does every operation adopt 100% of all of the components on day one? No. I think the savvy people would say, the experienced people say, you know what? No, I, I didn't. I got maybe 50% or 65%, pick a number. I think as you look at that and say, okay, rather than keeping it in the lab, let's get live. And we're on a crawl, crawl walk, run scenario yes. where- getting benefits today. I got to that first level. Now, what do we need to do next and get to the next level and the next level? We've had customers for 15, 20, 25 years running our technology, upgrading over time, getting the associated benefits, talk to ownership or the C-level and say, did they get everything that they could have on day one? The answer is no, but to be quite frank, my, my recommendation is Get the benefits that hit the business challenges of today and then keep on growing over time. Because if you keep it in the lab, you'll never get the project live and your investment will never see the valuation you deserve. Yeah, you touched on investment there. And that's so important when somebody says, boy, we spent some money to implement this. We, we Not only did we buy the technology, we bought the service. We also had our people implementing and there's an ROI at the end. And then I'm, I'm assuming you've had to have this conversation where they say, yeah, this would work really great. And you're like, yeah, but you're only using 
60% of it. This could be a home run if you would just spend a little more time to completely implement. And this is why you need a technology partner, not a vendor that sells you something and says, hey, call us if anything breaks down. You need to be joined at the hip because let's face it, most of the value we're seeing in supply chains is technology driven. A new technology that automated something, that gave me visibility, that tech did something for me that made life better. Why not implement it all the way? <laughs> You're so right, Joe. When we think about it today, the, the people that are in the corner in that room that's locked and there's a bunch of servers buzzing around, while that still exists today, a lot of those servers are in the cloud now, right? But with that being said, if you want to get better operationally, the person who's managing the automation and the direct labor force, you don't need a vendor. We talk about a lot of times with, especially with new customers, prospects, we talk about alignment culturally and what does a partnership really mean? And I, and, and listen, I know it's an overused word, right? But at the end of the day, you have to back that up with execution. How are you going to execute as a partner? We talk through that to make sure that whether it's collaboration around product or as they transform the business, how do we adapt the technology without overloading on the investment side and you get the right valuation in the operation? I think partnerships and cultural alignment are really important to buyers today to make sure that Hey, when I put this in, I know that I'm not going to pull it out again for the next seven, 10, 15 years. Right. So how do we take that journey together, knowing that there's going to be some pack holes along the way, but as partners, we'll get through them because we have our eye on the bigger picture. Yeah. And I'm, I'm from automotive and automotive went global in my lifetime. So. When I first started sure. working, we had suppliers. Uh, we didn't call them the supply chain. They were just suppliers. And they were in Ohio and Michigan and uh, down south a little bit. Very little in Mexico, very little overseas. That all has changed in my lifetime. But what's interesting about it is also the size of the suppliers they work with in automotive. So the large OEMs, the Chryslers or Stellantis, General Motors, <laughs> Nissan, they have suppliers that are global. So when they say, we're opening a new facility in Mexico, we'd like you to open a facility there. That means they can join. They, you, that means you can't go with a mom-pa shop. And that's, I'm assuming, some of the appeal that your customers have to their global organizations that need global support. And that, there's a ton of technology companies. I talk to a lot of them. And not all of them are built right now to be the partner that you can go worldwide with. That's, that's very true. As an example, Joe, we're working on several large projects right now. Companies that have facilities that may be 750 or a million square feet here in the States, but in Central America or Chile, they have facilities that are 50 or 60,000 square feet, right? Business requirements change, operational models change as you go from country to country or region to region. So how do you buy a supply chain tech platform that not only feeds a, an operation that may have 700 people working in it and right. 30 people working in it, 
And I wouldn't say that we're experts a hundred percent, but we've done some really innovative things and make sure that the platform works for that medium and small operation and can be just as effective there as it can be in a big enterprise type operation and getting the same benefits. But more importantly, if you look at supply chain metrics, they're all being graded at the same level. And then you can compare and contrast to make sure that you get the best of the best. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I got used to that in automotive. When I would launch cars in China, I would talk to JCI in Detroit. And then when I get there, I would meet the JCI people. So many would be from the Detroit area in China. You get used to that. And that's what's required for global businesses. And yeah, and let's face it, some of these smaller companies, I'm not against them. I'm all for them, but they don't have the bandwidth and they are, if you buy a WMS, TMS from them and they get bought, we've seen this lately where they get bought and then you're no longer supported in the way that you thought you were going to be. That happened also with some of the old legacy systems where they were on a server and they're like, don't worry, we'll let you stay on server-based. And then one day somebody calls and says, no more, we're moving to the cloud. We'll move 30 years of your data to the cloud. It shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, we see buyers in today's world being probably more strategic than ever now. How can I have a, a partner that has longevity attached to it, financially stable, has good results out in the field, has a presence in several different markets? I, I, I do think that companies see it a different way. Uh, the market is much more mature in the supply chain technology side than it was pre-2000. And the global players, while we might be a big global player in the market, we also have the, the presence of mind to act locally and to understand what are the things that are unique within a region? How do we accommodate that and making sure that everybody succeeds rather than corporate? I love it. I love it. So today's topic is logistics and distribution trends. So we wanted to talk about a few of them. The first one, and I don't even think we have to talk about it for too long, but the first trend I, I've mentioned is the bar is just getting higher and higher, whether it's in e-commerce or retail or automotive. It doesn't matter what supply chain you're serving. It seems like the bar has gotten higher, especially during COVID. I think that's when the bar got we, we started noticing some of the risks we had. And then I think now post COVID knock on wood that we're all saying, let's have this supply chain be stronger, more resilient than ever before. The technology spend I suspect is higher for companies that expect to be world-class in that space. So what are you guys seeing in that? Yeah. Li listen, the world changed over the course of three years, right? We thought that a supply chain technology during the pandemic, who wants to do a project during this time? Things would really lower and we'd have to think about transforming our business in a different way. The second part of that is true. We did transform our business in a different way because people, practitioners saw it in two ways. One, if I'm not there with best in market, here's the time for me to invest in order to get closer to best in market. And they saw it as an opportunity to transform and accelerate. A lot of, whether you were on the SMB side or the enterprise side, owners and boards found it as a way to invest, not to walk away, but to really accelerate. We were the beneficiaries of that. We were blessed 
to acquire a lot of companies with that profile. Secondarily, the other profile, I am the best or I'm near the top in terms of being a practitioner and a leader in the market. How do I take this time and continue to invest in order to get more market share, more growth and create distance between myself and whoever might be below me. So there were two ends of the market that really did well. And uh, we were lucky enough to work with a lot of those organizations during the pandemic. But when you think about how do you address supply chain challenges while the world is transforming and going to more e-com rather than less brick and mortar, we, you, you have to be adaptable. And I think the flexibility around how you do that and how you set a bar higher, but in a different business model. So I think the shift came in two ways, people looking at a higher level of performance, but not graded against what I'm doing today, but looking at the art of the possible in the future and transforming to that model versus maybe what I've done for the past 20 years. Yep. And also, and I'm, I, I know technology has a role in solving some of these problems. It's not the whole solution, but we no longer trade with Russia, right? For because of the cis conflict, we're no longer doing business with Iran for other reasons. We see a lot of people pulling out of China as there's the tariffs, but there's some long-term concerns about the stability of that market. And we don't want to pull everything out. We still want to sell there, right? We, we're still going to have those relationships. But then on top of that, getting ready to interview somebody on no longer being able to buy from certain regions of China that have weaker labor, right? Slave labor. We also know the same thing's happening in, the, I think the Congo's got that cobalt mining where they're using slave labor. Supply chains are being asked to do deal with this. We've never been asked to do any of this in the past. Also, we're being tasked with sustainability goals. I think 80% of greenhouse gases is from supply chains. And um, so we have to address things on many fronts and we're going to have to figure that out. And I think technology and the visibility that it gives us into our operations is increasingly important. I, I totally agree, Joe. When I mentioned before a little bit about uh, cultural alignment as a technology provider, but as the world's changing to look at things differently, when we think about as an example, ESG initiatives. How do I create a, a more balanced workforce in my operation? How do I make sure that the partners that are in my operational ecosystem have that same type of approach and thought process? We've done some things that at a very detailed level serve the greater good. So when you think about during the pandemic, how can my technology help do track and trace within the operation to understand that if I do have an issue with uh, a person that's in my direct labor force, how can I track that on all the touches that they may have made to other people in the workforce or the products that are being delivered downstream, right? We never thought about that before, no. a real use case. And then correspondingly, when we think about carbon footprint, right? And we think about managing the last mile or the middle mile and say that 
how can I create operational workflows that are very efficient? And the efficiency is being compared at, this is what you're doing today and what carbon emissions look like. This is what you are tomorrow measuring that and then delivering those results back to the board of that organization. And they use it as a way to report back to the market, whether that market may be Wall Street or their cooperative group. Those are very meaningful results that I think we, we think about that as a technology provider. How do I be a better partner in terms of some of those initiatives that I know Kerber loves to look for execution around on the ESG side internally, but now how can I externalize them and be part of that partner community with our customers? Yeah, it's, it gets very complicated very quickly. So I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Greenscreens. That's greenscreens.ai. Greenscreens is a dynamic pricing technology for the truckload spot market that delivers buy and sell side market intelligence to help brokers and 3PLs grow and protect their margins. Freight brokers and 3PLs using green screens gain the following advantages. Faster pricing for both buy side and sell side transactions. Pricing that is more accurate and more likely to win profitable business. Guys, dynamic pricing is the next killer app. Hundreds of freight brokers are already using it because it enables them to develop faster, more accurate quotes. This is the time. Check out Green Screens in the show notes, greenscreens.ai. So getting back to it, I know there's a few other trends. That you need. By the way, this comes from one of your recent reports, I think. This is why we're talking about. What was the report name? If you Do you know it offhand? Uh, I, I believe it was the, we did two reports. The one that we're referring to here, I believe was the, was the 2022 report and the label on it, Joe. Put in the show notes. You don't need to give it to me. Yeah, exactly. But one of the things you, and we talked about before we hit record is labor engagement. What do you mean by that? I think I know what you mean, but tell me what you mean. Labor engagement comes in a couple of different ways, Joe. One is we know that labor engagement in terms of acquiring direct labor resources, humans in the operation is challenging today for a lot of businesses that are on a growth path. Whether you're, whether you might be Amazon as a tremendous online retailer, while it might be say versed as a 3PL provider, or it might be a retailer that is locally in the grocery space, like big Y out East. Everyone's looking at how do I acquire the most talented resource of the next generation? And to be quite frank, no disrespect to anybody is that nobody is sending their kids in today's generation to school to have a direct labor job in a warehouse, yep. right? That's and so we look for one is the acquisition of that new generation laborer. Once they get in the warehouse and you enable them, you go through training. How do I keep them occupied and efficient? And I think in the, I, I would say when we first started deploying WMSs for the best practitioners, engineered labor standards for the direct labor workforce was very effective. And it still is today in many scenarios in terms of how to incent performance and basically pay for performance based upon, I have an engineered labor standard applied to a task. Did I work to finish that task either above or below the standard? 
Yes. In today's world, there's so much consumer-grade technology that has now embedded itself into the business world. How do I maybe still keep the element of an engineered labor standard in place, but how can I run contests within my day of work as an operator and give gamification, put that in the forefront, and instead of maybe incenting with pay, I now run contests, I gamify things, I'm able to incent the worker through the use of prizes or recognition around, if you win wave one picking, can you get access to that Yeti cooler for the first place right. picker? One of the types of things around labor engagement that we see to be very proficient in today's world and change the game a bit on next generation. I didn't ask before we hit record, but I'm 99.9% .9 sure what the answer. I'm assuming all your Kerber tech plugs in easily with all of the tools that they're using, the digital tools that they're using in warehouses, the scanners and all of that. Absolutely. You've got, with that being said, Joe, to be quite frank, we see many warehouses today that uh, are still using tried and true methods of character-based uh, mobile devices, RF devices, scan devices, some of them being very, very thick and ruggedized. Others have also pivoted to Android type solutions where we would call them ruggedized, but they're ruggedized consumer grade mobile devices, which could be tablets. They could be devices that are in a, a, a ruggedized form that uh, look just like your cell phone. So. There's a variety of ways to communicate the, the access to the workflow or guided work, right? Uh, regardless of whether they have something brand new or whether they need to pivot to a more modern device. Yep. And I will plug in my two cents here is when I started in automotive in the eighties, if you went through an assembly plant, you saw people doing work that was very difficult. They went home at the end of the day, they were tired, they were sweaty, they were dirty and potentially even hurt. And if they didn't get hurt that day in one incident, they might get hurt over time because they're forced to do a job that requires a lot of crouching or standing on their tiptoes or lifting. If you walk through an assembly plant today, you'll see almost none of that. People coming home from assembly plant aren't necessarily, they're still working, don't get me wrong, but they don't have the same chance of being injured for sure. They certainly are more technicians than they are assembly workers. And I think we're going to see that same level of care in warehouses because we're going to need to do more with less because as the baby boomers retire, there's 400,000 fewer people in the generation below. And they're also more likely to say, I don't want that job. And we're, we don't have people clamoring to go work in warehouses or drive trucks. And we know that. And we have to turn that into a supply chain job where you say, yeah, I hope my son or daughter gets a chance to work in a supply chain. And that's a great start. It can't be, hey, this is a dead end job. We're going to walk 10 miles a day and lift heavy things. It, you, everyone you know would say, no, steer away from that. Somebody said not so long ago on my podcast, and I think they were referring to one of the big paint companies. And they paint company made the observation, no one's ever retired from our warehouse. And that what that was getting to is, they're, they said, the hell with it. I'm out. I'm going to go do something else. And if you gave, I'm grand, I'm getting too old for this kind of thing. But if you gave me the choice to go work in a warehouse or drive and do DoorDash, 
sign me up. I'm driving around drinking my pop and listening <laughs> to my music and delivering food. That's easy. Yeah, I listen, I, I know it's a challenge for a lot of practitioners to not only enable, but have a long tenured employee. With that being said, I agree with you. Where there might be gamification and I'm putting something on, a, on an Apple watch uh, or whether I'm putting a headset on and providing guided workflow through voice instruction. So I use two hands instead of one hand. Right. Or I, instead of having five humans, I have one human, but now I have two robots that are servicing and working with that one individual around a certain work region in order to create additional efficiencies. But to be quite frank, a lot of the new generation workers or the ones that have been there a while and are also transforming their thoughts, when you start supplementing some of the automation within the environment, particularly voice gamification and robotics, boy, you'll see a change in attitude. And we see some of the leaders in this space really be able to keep a long tenured worker in place and let them graduate through several levels. And listen, the, sometimes the best marketing resource in an operations area is the person who's been with you 10 or 15 years. They may not be the youngest in age, but they certainly are the loudest in voice and can really do a great job in terms of accelerating yeah. performance with I, others. And I think if my dad worked at Ford Motor Company, he joined the apprenticeship program. And we got away from apprenticeship programs, but I wouldn't be surprised to see us adopt something similar again. But he said when he joined Ford Motor, they, he said the manager that you work for went through the apprenticeship program. The director of engineering went through the apprenticeship program. The vice president of engineering went through the apprenticeship program. In his generation in the 60s, it all changed. And so he had to go, in addition to the apprenticeship program, go back to sure. college. But even when I worked with those guys, people would point out, uh, he actually went through the apprenticeship program, meaning he knows better than the rest of us. You can't fool that person, right? Right. So um, the next thing we wanted to talk about was efficiency. When you talk about efficiency, were you talking efficiency across the entire supply chain or warehouses or what? I think it's a couple of different aspects, Joe. I think there is one aspect around one is that I'm not, if I'm focusing on the four walls and I know that maybe my my customer base is shifting, right? Am I moving from business to business, but now I've got a business to consumer operation that I need to fit in with that model. I, I'm, I used to service a lot of brick and mortar, but now I've got another 30% I'm shipping through e-com. Mm -hmm. So when about the technology and going back to your prior comment, I put in some technology 10 years ago, but I'm transforming my business and we know the pain that's involved saying that I need to pull out that platform of how I'm managing my business operation. And now I need to put in something new, or can I use a technology that's adaptable and flexible so that when my business model transforms, I just have to transform and do some configuration around what I have. And now my time to market has been reduced significantly. I think people who are mature in supply chain technology and they have made a second and third generation decision or are about to, they're smarter about how do I manage change in my environment over time, knowing that I don't want to change partners, 
I just want to evolve to the next level while my business model changes so that I can continue to grow or outmaneuver my competition. And we see that as great efficiency. So that's one area. Yeah. I think the second area is that as you sew together either a national or a global operation, or we look workflows between different assets of that supply chain in an order to cash model. How do you get broader and deeper around that tying together things like not only warehousing, but transportation, not only transportation, but then the order stream that's coming in from whoever your business partner may be. Is it a business? Is it a consumer? I think that there's several different levels of efficiency in a broader scale that allows us to succeed and more buyers in the marketplace today, more practitioners want someone who's a bit broader, but then can also go deep. And typically ERPs aren't the ones that can do that because they're not good at supply chain. They're only good at front office operations around finance, maybe CRM and HR. Yeah. It's, you mentioned not wanting to switch partners. And we've seen a lot of that in the market in the last decade. First off, there was a lot of small companies that popped up. It seemed like every other company has a new TMS or new WMS. And I talked to a lot of those guys. And what's interesting is companies will say, we're doing this, we're doing that, blah, blah, blah. And, and more power to them, not being critical just yet. Yep. But then I look and I see that they're bootstrapping. Now, I don't care. But they have four employees. They have two employees. And they say, I want to come and talk about how we're transforming. I'm like, you aren't transforming anything. <laughs> That's just the reality. And I'm a small business person myself. So it's not like I hate small business. But if you're a good-sized company, you need a good-sized partner and the one that you can grow with. And I do think there was companies that were TMS and then one other that was WMS and there was funds that ERP. I think more and more we're looking and saying, I need order to cash. I need one system for all my businesses, not so I don't have to keep switching systems or pay for costly integrations. No, we've made some really good choices, I, I think, around the portfolio that we go to market with, but more importantly, the supply chain problems that we're solving. And it's easy to get distracted in technology, saying that I can keep on growing and growing. But the fact of the matter is that we're supply chain lovers. We're passionate about solving supply chain challenges. And as you think about that, everything that you see Kerber doing out there, whether it's on the automation or robotics side, on the software and technology side, or just a consulting organization, I, I think you see evidence that, boy, these guys are really doing something different in the supply chain space in terms of providing the right level of performance for their customers. Yep. There's another area we wanted to talk about, and I just wrote down staying agile and adapting to market conditions. Huge topic, obviously, but what your two cents on that? I, I think as it relates to the technology side, so many times, Joe, and we've seen it particularly with legacy systems, sometimes even systems that are out there today, is that when the buyer list those requirements of this is what I need in my net new tech platform. They think about it in today's world. It's hard to think about it and what's it going to be in six or seven years. But the people who are 
coming back into and saying, okay, I've made a couple of choices over the last 15. What do I not want to do? And most of them end up in a situation where on the priority list, what I don't want to do is lock myself into a platform where right. it's going to do today. But now if I have to do tomorrow, I have a really expensive set of programmers that have to put fingers on keyboards. If you instead, can find them, if you can find them. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So instead, what the approach that we like to take is let's let our customers control their destiny. If I can put more power into the hands of the practitioner, allow them to transform both operationally as well as with the technology, I want to be the enabler. I don't want to constrain how fast or how broad change can happen in their organization. And I think when we look at how do we create the right partnership from a Kerber perspective is allow your customer to control their own destiny, understand where you can help them accelerate change in the right way. Don't force them to do it your way just because your tech can't move as fast as they can. And I think that's why you see a lot of, I know Kerber customers that have been around with us for 15, 20 years. What's interesting about all of it in our space, we've seen so much change. We're going to see, continue to see consolidation. Who knows yes. We're we're going to continue to see automation in a lot of spaces and we're going to need, and, and I say this all the time on my podcast, we have freight brokers, not against freight brokers, but we're going to see more and more of that stuff get automated. They'll still be freight brokers, but they might be managing thousands of shipments uh, a week and just looking at those exceptions and becoming more of a consultant. So as we see th these kind of things happening, we're going to see a whole bunch of changes. And there are also companies that are, we've, we've seen the big shipping lines invest in domestic transportation. And yeah. that wasn't, <laughs> they made a lot of money during the pandemic. They had to do something with it. And so we're starting to see global organizations emerge. And if you're a huge company, if you're the Walmarts, the world or Ford Motor Company, you don't want somebody who can help you on one continent. I don't want seven different 3PLs in my world. I need one that has the, and that's the same with my technology. I want the technology that I use in the US when I expand into Europe and you have little different standards. I want them to go, yeah, we get that. <laughs> Same with when I go to Latin America or Asia, I want them to say, yeah, we're already there. We'll help you out. Not we'll learn it or we'll put you on the technology roadmap. Yeah, that's the, sometimes that's the worst comment that can come out, right? <laughs> Just say no. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. So let's wrap this bad boy up. I know I've gone over my time with you. Final thoughts on some of these trends and what we'll do, I'll make sure we put a link to the full studies in the show notes, yep. but final thoughts on this topic, which is some of these trends we just talked about. Listen, I, I think overall, what we've seen over the last three years and then going forward, change is a very relevant part for supply chain practitioners. You can't avoid it. Some people, unfortunately, some operations, we've seen collapse during the pandemic. The ones that came out, like I mentioned before, laggards accelerating their transformation, best in market moving forward. I think whether you happen to be in operation that might be a 50,000 square foot warehouse, 10 trucks, 50 management people, 
that are driving sales or the Walmarts or the Amazons of the world. I don't think that there needs to be necessarily, hey, if I'm a small operator, I need to lessen what I need to achieve from a performance standpoint. My technology needs to be less efficient than the big guys. I think there's a fit for purpose in all markets. It may not be exactly the same, but I think as you manage change, as you think about partnerships, pick the one that you think is going to fit your business over a longer period of time and allow yourself to think about the art of the possible in the future. Don't short size it. Obviously not every level of investment is the same, but I, I think we've seen a lot of people transform in a really positive way. And we've done that because we enable change today, but then more importantly, we enable change over a, a longer period of time. And those practitioners are some of the best in market. And it, it could be their market vertical, their tier, could be their industry. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I think overall, the buyers are smarter out there. The practitioners are better. And as we continue to move forward, there'll be another element of change coming up. We don't know what it is, but I, I guarantee you that it's going to happen. It's coming no matter what. So who's the sweet spot for Kerber? I, a lot of times you describe this in terms of market tier or market vertical, right? And Kerber is one of those companies where we're a global organization. We do a lot of business in the Americas. We're over in APEC, also Europe and South Africa. We don't focus on market vertical or tier because we're very broad and the customer base represents that from 3PL to retailers, the wholesalers that are in business to business. We're focused on solving supply chain problems. And to be quite frank with you, some of those problems that we saw in terms of helping out United Airlines are some of the same problems that we solved over at Lineage as a 3PL operator or a local provider, like I mentioned, Big Y is a grocery retailer out east. Supply chain problems are pervasive. And sometimes out of market vertical, the person who's at United may not think that the same operational problem exists at, at a big Y, but sometimes it does. And bringing that expertise or that visibility tool, our focus is let's solve the problem with the right solution. Let's not necessarily focus on just solving them, say in the automotive industry or the airline industry. I love it. I love it. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, a link to those studies we referenced and link to your website and any other links you and your marketing team give me. I like to interview smart, interesting people like you, Rick. Who else should I interview? Someone who's killing it in the space. Well, listen, some of the listeners might know of Locus Robotics, uh, headquartered out east. Al Deacon is All a salesman, right. but he's also an industry expert. My, my recommendation is give Al a call. I think you'd be well served. Joe, I really appreciate what you do in, in, you. in the industry and getting the message out and also lending your expertise. So thanks for doing what you do in this market. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I, it's no joke. My podcast is great because I get great guests and I would do this even if no one listened <laughs> besides me and my mom. I really appreciate it. What conferences will we see you guys at? We, we've got CSCMP coming up here in a few months. Is that in Florida Most this year? 
I think it is. We also have parcel form that's coming up down in Texas, which is happening in the beginning of September. And a lot of the trade shows events are really front loaded. There are all the last six months we've went to a million conferences. So I was at Manifest. I just got back from TMSA down okay. in Savannah. But yeah, that it's, I know Freight Waves was, I think, last week. So we're, we need a few months off until the fall. But if they want to find you guys, we'll find, you'll be able to find Kerber at all the conferences. I'm assuming I'll see you at Manifest next February. You will, Joe. Excellent. I really do appreciate you taking the time. I love what you guys are doing. And I should also throw this out there. I never heard of Kerber. You're one of these massive companies that I never heard of. And once you start to understand the size and the scope and what you guys have done in the market, you go, you're awfully quiet for all the hard work you guys have put in. We've got a lot of evangelists, Joe, and we're a little bit of a supply chain secret. But once you start picking up the, the hood on that car and you take a look at the components, you find out that, oh my gosh, why didn't I talk to them sooner? Yeah, I'm sure the Gartner people know who you are. <laughs> oh, very, we're, we're a leader in the space. We're, we're up and right. And we're blessed with some great customer relationships, which lend themselves to, hey, why does an analyst firm like Gartner love us so much? Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time, Rick. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Joe. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.